Hey folks, welcome to Josh's Worst Nightmare Oddcast presented by Denver Horror Collective. I'm your host, author Josh Schlossberg, surveying the dark landscape of biological horror fiction. For this episode, we're being swooped in on by Erica Hoffmeister. Erica was born and raised in the orange groves of Southern California and now lives in Denver where she teaches college writing and rhetoric. She has an MFA in creative writing, poetry, and is the author of two hybrid poetry collections, Lived in Bars and Roots Grew Wild, but considers herself a cross-genre writer. She's currently writing a memoir and essays that explores coming of age in the late 90s, early aughts with a pop culture lens, as well as two YA horror novels. As an independent scholar, her research focuses mostly on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and gothic literature, as well as pop culture and horror films in general, with a special affection for the 90s aughts teen slasher horror cycle. Welcome to my nightmare, Erica. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, on Josh's Worst Nightmare, I invite on horror authors and creators to talk about an aspect of biological horror, which I broadly define as living creatures, vital processes, somehow relevant to their writing or their interest. And this episode, we're talking about vampires, vampire biology, physicality, stuff like that. So I guess a good place to start would be when did you start getting interested in vampires and what turned you on to them? I think that's an easy thing to start with. Uh, Buffy, for sure, obviously. Um, I'm an elder millennial, so my whole adolescence was essentially defined by the WB. And Buffy uh, was someone that I connected with right off the bat when I was kind of preteen. And I mean, the show ended when I was a senior in high school. So it really was like, my entire coming of age. And I was just obsessed with having some kick-ass little, very feminine girl just be the savior of the world. Um, but I've always really been into vampires in general. Um, I was kind of a weird kid and my grandma used to let me read like Anne Rice and things like that. So I've always really been in a horror since I was really little. Um, so Buffy wasn't like my introduction into vampires per se, but definitely my introduction into like my obsession uh, with pop culture and horror and vampires all in one, so. Cool, but of course she killed vampires. So you didn't really yeah. like vampires. You wanted them dead. I mean, yes and no, because she's in love with a vampire. He is the main love interest. And then there's a second one. So, I mean, there's always this kind of push and pull between, um, you know, the desirability and the terror of vampires, which I think is, I guess at the heart, the entire point of vampire mythology. Um, is that sort of moral dilemma. Um, so yes, both kill vampires and lust over vampires, I suppose. <laughs> so in the zombie world, there's the whole debate between fast zombies, slow zombies. I feel mm -hmm. like the vampire world debate, I mean, it could be to do with the sparkly thing, but I think it goes deeper. I think it's like hot vampires, not hot vampires. Yeah. Where do you stand on that? I don't have a side at all. I, I, I think that really it can be split into um, like this more traditional kind of Dracula-esque supernatural sort of lore. And then there's the more like viral infection, poison side of like the interpretation. And I feel like 
if you're on that side where if you're like with I guess I think it's underworld is even like a poison infection, right? 30 days of night. Um, you have that show, The Strand by Guillermo del Toro. Those vampires aren't necessarily sexy, right? They're like total monsters. It's mm -hmm. your humanity is still somewhat intact. You're being infected by this sort of vampire virus. And then the sexy, cool, evil slash undead. Then you have your more like Dracula, Buffy, interview with a vampire right that kind of stuff so i don't think one is necessarily better than the other i think it's just a completely different interpretation of the mythology and if you want to go more like bio horror or if you want to go more like almost this superstition religious kind of historical based sure um, so <laughs> sure and i think it would affect of course the demographic as well right, right. You the, the sexy vampires might get a different audience than like the gross ones i i'm yeah. more partial to like nosferatu so like yeah. max shrek just like he's just a creeper and i'm like that so I, I i feel um so i debate people on mermaids mermaids would not be hot is the thing a, mer <laughs> a mermaid lives in the ocean it's like cold and wet they'd be like fish they'd be they'd be gaunt they'd be like shark bitten they wouldn't they wouldn't be like, like sexy like a yeah, they, they wouldn't be physically attractive. Um, and so I guess I fall, I fall towards that with with vampires. Uh, I just so I'm always like when they're like, like the, uh, the Brad Pitt vampires, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I believe this. But then like Max Shrek, I'm like, yes, thank you. Yeah, that, that's what I want. But so uh, if anyone who's listening to this, feel free to comment Do you like the sexy vampires, the non sexy, all the above. Yeah, I think that's the age-old debate with vampires in itself, like from the beginning, not maybe from not from the very beginning, but from the introduction in pop culture, for sure. I mean, even like Fright Night, the hmm. new, the newer one with like Colin Farrell, he was still very sexy as a vampire, right? right. That was like pre-Twilight, pre-True Blood. So for whatever reason, I think it's like, I think the the lure of vampirism in general is just like giving into your dark sides, your like human impulses, your desires. So yes, that could also be violence and murder, but what's the other thing? The other forbidden is that lust, that sex. So I don't think it's difficult as hmm. monstrous as the Nosferatu and all the those kinds of viral monstrous vampires are. I think it's difficult to just completely hmm. ignore the sexiness the sex that's factor true. Mm -hmm. no, that's true and it does bring you more into that gray zone and more how things are in life like light and shadow whereas we just have the dark monster like all right i don't like him you're like oh i'm sort of attracted to the monster yeah that's, that's yeah our our perversities and just being drawn to yeah things that are subversive or whatnot that's an exploration mm -hmm. of that so that that does make sense but of course yeah i mean vampires are always I mean, death is right there and disease mm -hmm. and contagion. I guess it's thought that a lot of that tied into maybe uh, tuberculosis when mm -hmm. that was all going on with, um, you know, Bram Stoker time. That was kind of mm -hmm. what the vampiric disease or the plague or whatever. Yeah. But, but do you think that it, we've kind of pulled away from the disease aspect? Or I guess you mentioned that there still is some of the disease with the. Yeah, I think that still lingers even now. I mean, if you think about it, like Dracula was like 600 years old. And so really it's all, it comes from 
you know, the Gothic era from medieval times. We hmm. didn't know anything about anything. <laughs> we right. made a lot of shit up. I mean, that's when people were like getting buried alive because you thought that they were dead. And so like you have so many of these mythologies that are coming from this time period that we didn't understand how diseases worked. There were diseases that gave like these vampire-like kind right. of symptoms off. And so I think that that, even though back then everything was also so intertwined with religion and God and superstition, that the viral aspect, that disease basis that we really wrote vampire mythology on still lingers today with even some interpretations that are more of the non-viral, like contagion horror, they still in their interpretations, like even Twilight is a poison um, and not necessarily this undead sort of creature or this demon, like Buffy. Um, so I think it, there is still some crossover with that sort of contagion aspect or viral yeah. disease. Yeah. That's a good point. But one of the things that seems to be pretty common is almost, I mean, an immortality in a sense, right? There's lots of ways in which mm -hmm. they could be killed. But I'm trying to think about like, why why did that have to become a part of the the mythos? Like, where did the immortality, like, is you're exchanging your temporary human life for this other dark thing that lasts forever? Like, what's that about, do you think? Yeah, I think it's, and again, I think it, it starts from, from its origin point, that time period and our, I mean, the human experience, it's about, you know, this kind of existential, these crises that we're having of what we don't understand. Where do we go after we die? How does our bodies work? Um, you know, all of those questions can essentially be cured with this idea of the vampire. Um, whether monster or not, that's again, the attraction of the, that darkness is this ability to live forever, but also the terror in that. Um, is it really a, a curse or a blessing? Um, and having some immortal creature hunting you is also much scarier than a non-immortal creature hunting you, right? Um, so, yeah. So then one of the early things that I, I guess does cross over into the modern day. So the transformation, I mean, just going back to yeah. Bram Stoker. So, I mean, I read it a long time ago, but I believe he does. Does he turn, is there bat stuff? Yeah, okay. bat, mist, um, some renditions of like rats. So def definitely some shape-shifting involved in the Dracula. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I had a, I had a podcast episode on shape-shifting. And I mean, obviously there's, that's a supernatural thing, but I guess in my mind, there's got to be a way to explain some things biologically. And I guess I can never make sense of like a big thing then turning into a little thing. <laughs> like, I mean, I guess that's where magic comes into play. You don't have to worry about it, right? Yeah. And I think that is like the starting point. And that's why now, after so many iterations of what it means to be a vampire, we have these I guess, like more logical or rational interpretations of what that means, right? So it's a virus or it's poison right, right. or whatever, right? Where back, like when Dracula was written, it's just like, oh yeah, then you turn into a bat. <laughs> that sounds fun. Um, so I don't know if it goes any deeper than that, but I right. think we've made it deeper since then, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, well, so then there's, of course, the whole the fangs coming out so i just mm -hmm. tried to picture it's like all right so i have teeth you know we have our canines 
So basically, I mean, teeth come in, right? So there's no right. reason why it can't come in quickly, but I guess the, the retractable, but there are retractable claws in nature. Right. So right. you can have retractable teeth. Right. And I think it's where, what was it? I ran into something recently. What do they call it? It, was, it wasn't like an abomination of biology, but it was something like corrupt anatomy or something mm. like that. Um, and how the things that we see in vampires are just exaggerations of what we see in like the natural world, like the retractable things. I mean, you see that with, I think what like sharks, right? They like their jaws unhinge. And whatnot, well, right? Snake's jaws officially jaws unhinge, but you know, it's true. The sharks, they have multiple and they have rows their- and they flex and yeah. round. And I mean, there are some like biologically immortal creatures, like the Greenland shark that lives hundreds of years Mm. and like jellyfish. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's not completely Mm -hmm. just this out of nowhere, supernatural undead thing. I think it does come from a sense of the natural world in a small way, um, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and then there's some of the sillier stuff, like the garlic yeah. stuff has always been silly to me. But, yeah. But I mean, so garlic has antiviral properties, which is uh-huh. my guess where that all came from. But yeah, I find that hard to, to believe when there's like this super powerful thing and just this sort of like slightly <laughs> smelly tuber or whatever the hell yeah. it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that comes from the origins of you know, the superstitious and witchcraft. And I mean, it's, it's kind of like the cross too, right? Like mm-hmm. right, cross, just, yeah. that's how you get rid of the vampire. But I mean, that would only work within the structures of a Christian religion. And <laughs> so what if that's not the right context, the vampire just shows up, you know, so it definitely is that that mythos that origin point i think of where we get some of those silly superstitious supernatural kinds of rules so to speak and i think that's probably why a lot of those don't stick around forever um but i mean you have buffy which is uh more like demonology based Mm -hmm. and so you have this whole demonic like Buffy verse um, in different dimensions. And the vampire is just one of several thousands, millions of different monsters and demons and whatnot. Um, and that's going to be a completely different, there's no demons and monsters in like Fright Night, right? Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the, the cross thing is interesting because yeah, what if it's a Jewish or a Muslim vampire? It's like, pfft. right. <laughs> I don't believe in that shit. but uh yeah well the other thing i'm thinking of is sorry just going through my list of things i don't want to commandeer the whole thing but two more things on my list that i wanted to get into so the stake in the heart i mean i guess the heart is important if you Mm -hmm. somehow if you destroy the vampire's liver it doesn't matter so like what's the deal with that you think and it and and the vampire technically has blood because they that is how you turn another human into a vampire is by sucking vampire blood right Right. but there's no heartbeat so it's not literally actively pumping blood so biologically it makes literally no fucking sense um and yeah the stake in the heart is something i never really quite understood the decapitation makes sense 
um, you know, the, the sunlight burning to a crisp, I guess, makes a little bit more sense. Mm -hmm. um, the stake in the heart, I don't know where or why that is something that was held on to for so long. I guess, I mean, the same as like a silver bullet and a werewolf, like why? Right. Just I guess because it has to be a wooden stake right yeah, um, right yeah. yeah and but what do you think about the super strength thing because that's that's quite a leap from the earlier vampires I don't mm -hmm. think Nosferatu I don't even think I don't remember if if the stoker vampire was really like super strong I don't think he was no I, I think he relied a lot more on like cleverness and, and hip, hypnotism and stuff right? sure. yeah. and like the older he got the more he like was able to manipulate and and kind of build his own little world for himself whereas yeah. I think that just goes into play with the longer we've had the vampire mythology the more we tend to like romanticize and sexualize it mm -hmm. um it's not very appealing if you're just going to turn into a frail old monster that has to stay in a coffin at night right, right. or day um so i think that just that just comes with the evolution of it being horror of it being terrifying it's scarier it's just like the zombies eventually they started to get a lot faster <laughs> um i think that's just part of the evolution of horror um and then again each interpretation is going to have different aspects of that super strength or those superpowers um, superhuman but I think it's also this sort of vampires are not necessarily like a creature below humans like zombies but they're like above right they're immortal they they're the thing they can do whatever they want they like live beyond the rules of society um in in a way that I think seems freeing for a lot of vampire fans right so mm -hmm. I think it's this sort of like vampires are this almost godlike monster um so they have to have superpowers in some way or they don't fit into that mold right and it's one of the few monsters or whatever you want to call it that it's like sexual like that <laughs> they are sexual not just the appeal but like they're hypersexual to a certain right. degree like they have the appetite they have the appetite which is symbolized in the blood and sometimes just like literally with sex and stuff like that so that's right like the werewolves aren't like typically horny you know <laughs> zombies not so much so that is definitely kind of a unique thing there are a few i guess sexual demons and stuff like that but no one's really turned on by them <laughs> right it's like succubi like is still terrifying it's not something that you're like oh yeah i secretly hope that that happens to me no um <laughs> yeah and i think that just I, I think part of that is just how uh, vampires feed it's a very intimate thing right. even the ones that use like the um you know not your fangs or whatever like grady hendrix and the southern book club's guide to slaying vampires such a long book title but you know you have the like part of his body that comes out in order to feed um that's how the strand is as well so it's and if you see those are a little bit less sexual not as much but i mean if you're gonna try and seduce somebody and suck on their neck it's you gotta be a little sexy to get away with that i guess yeah so, and then it's like the whole let your desires run away with <laughs> with you and not care it's the sort of bloodlust if you were just reduced to your most primal human instincts it would just be sex and food right so for sure 
Yeah. And then in the neck biting, I mean, it's like the predator prey stuff and mm -hmm. dominant submission, because what's interesting, even back in Stoker, the, the victims, I believe they were primarily women. They, they kind of dug it, right? Yeah. There, there was an element of that. So that's, that's, what's very interesting. No one's like, oh, this zombie is biting me. This, you know, there's some good, like no one's into that. So that's yeah. a rare thing. And you can end up being this kind of minion for, I mean, Dracula. There's even a Buffy episode for that one. Um, and Xander becomes like his, I forget what they call it, but basically his little Dracula slave and he just walks around um, and has to do whatever Dracula calls him to do. Right. Uh, and you see that in a lot of those kind of traditional iterations of vampires as well. And I think, I think that's that plays into a lot of like the supernatural um but yeah so what do you think of this show what do we do in the shadows since that's camp campifying and parody parody yeah, i i love it all honestly <laughs> um i mean i even liked twilight so i'm, I'm not one of those hardcore like you there's a certain way that vampires need to exist or it doesn't exist it's it's a fucking vampire um i think it doesn't exist already but so i love it I, I think it's hilarious um i think it also plays it's like really smart in a lot of that i haven't watched it in a long time i used to a lot um but it, it plays into like you know those human problems but vampire problems um and in a way that is like the themes that vampires really speak to, which is mortality and, you know, being othered and not fitting in and, you know, fear of whatever and those forbidden desires. It's like just a really campy, hilarious way to take all those normal vampire themes. Like what if they were just silly people? Right. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I like that show a lot and the movie I think even the movie is actually better, the original movie, but the show is really good. But because mm -hmm. what the movie did was it took different iterations of vampires. So they did have basically the Max Shrek, Nosferatu, Creeper, mm -hmm. one who didn't say much and just hung out there. And then they had kind of more foppish, dandy fied vampires, you know, maybe like in the Anne Rice era, that kind of mm -hmm. thing, you know, lace collars and all that. And then uh, what other, like, uh, Lost Boys kind of 80s style vampires. Oh, yeah. so they, had, they had all those different ones. And I thought that was really funny. And they also didn't take it too seriously. And so they you can hmm. poke fun at it, which I think is really fun. And yeah. that kind of that kind of turned me back on to vampires because I was kind of all right, I'm over this stuff. But then, oh, that's right. Now we can make fun of it. Right. And actually see how cool so much of this really is if we're not taking it so seriously. Yeah. And I think the thing is about vampire stuff is it's been around for so long that it feels eventually just overdone. Like we're always just looking for the next new thing. And then, but that's not good enough. And the new thing, and the, that's not good enough. And like, but the traditional one is boring because we've heard it a million times. So yeah, it, it, it was a really refreshing kind of reset button um, on that. Yeah, I wrote one short story. I think it was actually the first one I ever sold and my version was basically, it was bed bugs. So the vampire had 
its familiars were bed bugs and the bed bugs would do the blood sucking for it and then it would bring the blood back so it didn't have to go out and stuff like that so that was the, the, the concept behind that's very clever <laughs> my short story mm-hmm. but so what else crosses your mind when it comes to vampires that we want to get out there yeah i mean i was when i was trying to think of like okay buy a horror vampires it's not really what i've I mean, normally when I'm I'm doing my academic research and whatnot, I'm focusing, like I said, on on gothic literature, and so I'm looking at like themes and tropes mm-hmm. and and all these elements of humanity, and not so much the biological aspect. And right. I just found it fascinating when I started kind of combing through uh, my interest and knowledge of vampire mythology in general, just how much of the like bio horror aspects are in there that seem to be almost covered by the supernatural undead aspects mm-hmm. uh, I mean even like it's in Lost Boys it's in Buffy but like the vamp face you know that like that transformation mm. um, and the eye color changes the fangs right. retract and this sort of like becoming predator um, biologically like your chemical makeup sort of altering and fitting the needs of your survival as that creature as that organism um not really things that i thought about before so lots of cool stuff in here with bio horror actually and vampirism right well i guess the eyes would change because they can see in the dark i believe Mm -hmm. and the thing that's always funny on what we do in the shadows is how they can't eat human food and if they do they puke it Mm -hmm. up violently Mm -hmm. but still they try to because tastes good or whatever but (laughs) so you're an authority. So do vampires piss and shit? That's, I mean, that's one of the things that I, it, you would think no, right? Cause they're, it's kind of like a host body. You're not really consuming. You're just kind of filling up mm. blood. I don't, I don't think so. Right. <laughs> There's a lot of human biological events that wouldn't make much sense, but they're living as humans. I mean, how do they have sex? Right. Right. Yeah. Like if they're undead corpses, technically. Yeah. A, that's pretty good. The, the, the anatomy is not going to function in the way that intended. But so if there's a spell there, if there's some sort of magic spell that exists, I mean that that solves that. And right. I'm, fine, I'm fine with that. But <laughs> I mean, I guess I think is it so do they feel pain? Do they feel physical pain just in general for things? In general, no. I mean, I, I'm sure each interpretation is slightly different, but not really because they, they're they like superhuman strength, right? Their nerve endings aren't really working correctly, but then do they feel pleasure? You mm. can't feel pleasure and not pain, right? So, and then Buffy, there's like all this kind of BDSM style, like sexual torture that the vamps get really into. So right. in theory, you can feel pain and pleasure, but again biologically that how that makes sense i don't know <laughs> that's those are the questions for the ages there yeah right. <laughs> yeah so vampires are definitely not gonna go away i think they'll come in different iterations there are some of the yeah the non-humanoid monstrous ones even in what we do in the shadows mm-hmm. for whatever reason once in a while they can't really explain it. it's just the one who's like it's like their faces are kind of like melted cats yeah. or whatever so yeah that's that's playing in all the different the, the realm of the other versus just okay these are actually humans and we can 
we can become that. So it's not like okay. there's going to be, we're going to run out of creative territory for vampires. You know, people can poo poo it, make fun of it, look down on it, but they're not really going away. No, I mean, I think it's, it's a tale as old as time. It's, it's like, it really is as old as almost any other mythology story that we still create literature based off of. Um, I mean, even Midnight Mass, that, that was very popular that that just came out. And that's, of course, more of that supernatural demonology, kind of the devil, the angel and playing on the religious aspects of it but it was just straight up chaos. It, there was no sexiness. There was no like structured order of the vampires like in Anne Rice or Underworld or anything. It was just this agent of chaos. The stranger comes to town and wreaks havoc. Um, and that was something that I don't think has been done like that before at all. So there are still plenty of opportunities to interpret different versions of the vampire myth for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I actually saw that series and I liked it a lot. And if it did say from the start that it was, it's not your typical vampire stuff, like you said, they don't even say the word vampire in it, which I think is smart because if they had in the beginning, I might have skipped it. I don't dislike vampire, but I'm not really drawn to it per se, which is probably why I'm on episode, whatever this is. And this is (laughs) I've done, but yeah, I, I don't have anything against vampire. It was just you know, coming up with a, a way to tie it into biological horror, which is actually pretty darn obvious. So yeah. I don't, I don't know what my excuse is, but I liked how they did it a lot in Midnight Mass. I thought that was that was quite clever, and and I definitely recommend that to yeah. folks. It almost has a folk horror feel because it's this yeah, desolate, totally. remote island kind of stuff. And yeah, they work all those themes into it. And then there's even a recent season of American Horror Story. Yeah, with- yeah. Same in a idea. very different way though but like in a, in a different way than your typical vampire yeah. uh but yeah similar to midnight mass but not just your your typical vampire there was a lot of that, but it was for writers it was really good because they were they were kind of playing off of the whole artist and the artist's yeah. desire i want to believe that if we took the pill we would have been the successful ones not the ghouls right exactly. um yeah that i just finished that that show that season of American Horror Story also and I had no idea that it was about vampires at all I was just like oh I'll start this I haven't seen this yet it's on Netflix now and I'm like wait a second this is this is a this is a vampire season <laughs> well I'd so say I wonder if that's what people mm-hmm. are realizing that they kind of got to sneak the vampire yeah. thing and I think that's clever it's like trick us into seeing different aspects of vampire stuff because right. there is the cliche tropes to it that have been used a lot so yeah. I, I think that's really clever don't advertise it necessarily unless you want to but it's a good way of doing things and like oh okay I'm really into the story oh it's vampire stuff I guess I do like mm-hmm. vampires and I think a lot of that is because it's I think most people would probably blame Twilight but honestly that that book was written for children so it's it's not the culprit i think that it 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 was this kind of for a long time through the 90s and early 2000s it became this like fantasy world like almost saga like like lord of the rings or star wars where everything is so structured and hierarchical and there's an order of things it's like a fantasy world there are specific rules there's like different vampire kings and and i think that after a while it just kind of started to turn off like 
basic, just normal horror fans that maybe weren't into the, the fantasy structuring of where the vampire lore was going. Yeah. And I like vampires when it, it isn't like that. That, that probably is my least favorite um, styling, if you will, mm-hmm. in, in any, I, I like it when it mixes up like you said, with the folk horror of Midnight Mass or with the suburban horror of like Fright Night or uh, Grady Hendrix's novel, when it's just that the vampires are the secondary genre in a way. Mm. It's kind of like the vehicle of the horror aspect, but really it's not about vampire worlds, you know? Um, So I think we're going to see a lot more of those kinds of of interpretation at least i hope so because i like it better (laughs) well i would certainly welcome that into my home so Mm -hmm. that's definitely something i approve of well erica thanks so much for coming on talking about bloodsuckers so what are you working on now and where can folks find your work yeah um right now like i i mentioned in my bio i'm in the middle of writing some novels um and some short form um if you go to my website it's just simply ericahoffmeister.com i've got a bunch of other short forms published um and hopefully my horror novel will be somewhere eventually soon it's not vampires it's uh, kind of a supernatural uh, demonic possession novel so also cool Uh, But yeah, so I'll be around. (laughs) Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much, Josh. Thanks for taking a trip with me through Josh's Worst Nightmare, where I, Josh Schlossberg, survey the dark landscape of biological horror fiction presented by Denver Horror Collective. If you don't want to miss any of the great, and sometimes disturbing, weekly episodes I've got planned for you, Be sure to subscribe to Josh's Worst Nightmare on a variety of podcast platforms. You can also sign up for Josh's Worst Nightmare e-newsletter at joshsworstnightmare.com, where I share a whole squirming mess of bio-horror, including my infamous haiku horror reviews and my latest dark scribblings. Speaking of which, if you haven't already picked up a copy of my cosmic biological folk horror novella, Moline, from D&T Publishing, you can find a copy of the paperback, hardcover, or ebook at Amazon, Godless.com, or Josh'sWorstNightmare.com. Yours darkly, Josh Schlossberg. <laughs>